What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Real Reality Realness with Brian K. James, the podcast where I, your host, Brian, interview figures in music, reality TV, and pop culture about their lives, their perspectives, and their platforms. Join me five days a week as I get to know some of my favorite people through their points of view and their journeys to their personal greatness. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. going on everybody brian k james here and i'm so excited to let you know that this podcast is being brought to you in part by outlander media network outlander's mission is to bring you the most exclusive alternative content from across the web from the farthest reaches invading your space we appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in and never want you to forget to embrace your inner outlander I am Brian K. James, and this is Real Reality Realness. Alrighty, welcome and welcome back to the show. This is Real Reality Realness. I am Brian K. James, and I put the mess in the message. I am so excited to have this person on the show today. They are the drag queen of Broadway, but you may remember them as a cast member of RuPaul's Drag Race season nine, who you should follow right now on Instagram at, at Alexis Lives. And I cannot wait to get to know them better. Ladies, gentlemen, and every gender or lack thereof in between, join me in welcoming to the show, Alexis Michelle. How are you Hello. doing, love? Oh, hi, Brian. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making some time for me in your calendar. Thank you so much for taking my call today. I really appreciate you. Oh, my goodness. Of course. My pleasure. Love. What are you most looking forward to in... 2023 oh my goodness so much going on 2023 um i've actually got some uh something really fun going on this week that i cannot wait um i don't know if you're a fan of the show but i got mm-hmm. super into white lotus and yes. i am taking part in a white lotus rave uh this week at three dollar bill um in brooklyn so it's gonna be a lot of fun a lot of great artists um sorchi tour um uh olivia from drag race is gonna be there and uh, marty gold cummings and a bunch of other folks it's gonna be a really great time that sounds so cool i'm jealous have fun for me (laughs) 
love that. But um, but yeah, no, I've got got a lot of stuff going on. I'm working on some new music, and I think it'll be. I think people will be surprised that uh, the sort of sound and vibe that I'm going for. You know, people know my Broadway roots run deep, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is going to be um, these are going to be some tunes that you could dance to at the club. Ooh, now we need dance music, child. We need as much as we can get, child. <laughs> I will take it. Now, what do you think you're leaving behind in 2022? You know, I think... I think what plagues me and what I think plagues a lot of people is perception and others, people's perception of them. And I think that the fear that that can create for people, I think it leads people to retreat rather than stay present and stay visible and keep yourself out there. And so, you know, what I'm leaving behind and what I'm, I'm the intention I'm leading with this year has been keep myself out there, keep going, keep working, keep creating, and don't be afraid about, you know, other people's perception. Because you ultimately, you also can't control that. So there's no sense in stopping yourself, stopping your own flow, you know, f for that. 10 million percent. Yeah. Now, for the people who don't know, and I'm sure it's like one person in the entire country, tell my audience, who is the Alexis Michelle? Well, you know, as I said, the theater runs in my veins. It was my earliest inspiration, um, as well as my earliest pursuit. I really, I've been pursuing a life in the theater since I was a kid, you know, from acting class to school to, you know, more professional work as I got out of school. So that's always been sort of the river running through, you know, my veins and my career. Um, but I've got lots of interests. I think what's been most eye-opening to me about my drag career is as I returned to the stage, because, you know, even while I was pursuing theater, you know, it's you're not necessarily on the stage all the time while you're pursuing, uh, you know, an acting career. So the time that getting on stage in drag what that permitted me was to really realize that performing is my happy place and getting to express it so fully, you know? And so through and through, I'm an entertainer. I love to be on stage, but in, you know, that word entertainer is really important because I love to entertain in many ways. Um, yes, I love to perform on the stage and entertain that way, but I also love to entertain in my home um, I love to cook. I love food. I love to cook. I love a dinner party. Um, I love setting the table nicely. I love, you know, fixing up the house, arranging flowers. So a lot of my interests stem from the world of entertaining. And for me, there is something performative in all of those things, um, even if it's just to be uh, enjoyed, and even if it's just meant to entertain a handful of people, um, I really love 
entertaining. So I would say first and foremost, I'm an entertainer. Um, I also really love animals. <laughs> love um, that. Yeah. And uh, nine out of 10, they're better than people, you know? <laughs> nine and a half times out of 10. <laughs> I don't know yeah. about you. In a world that's full of social media, um, you know, cute or funny animal videos on, on social, the, that's the savior for me. It's the one saving grace we have on social media. It's, it's like cute cats and rambunctious puppies. Yes, yes. Like, I swear, like, social media sucks. <laughs> really sucks. But I'm sure we'll get to that later in the interview. <laughs> if you could originate a character on Broadway today, what would they be like? And what would their story be? Well, I would like to think if it's a story that we don't know already, you know, if it's really to be, if it's really to be an original story that we haven't seen on Broadway, mm -hmm. um, I would like to think that it, oh, I'm so sorry, my coffee, shoot, I just lost my coffee cup, that's all right. Everyone's oh, no. fine. <laughs> all right, I'm going to start back with that, is that all right? No, you're fine, go ahead. I you're assume you'll be able to edit this, right? Yeah, but you're perfectly okay. fine. It's all good. Okay. Um, We're really casual over here. Okay. So, um, you know, I would like to think that if it was something truly original, you know, a story that we don't know yet, that would it would have to do with somebody either struggling and then finding their own path to their own authenticity. Um, that would be great or perhaps it's someone who has already found their authenticity um and is sort of helping someone else or other people who are struggling to find theirs because i think i think the secret to a happy life in general is living your life authentically and so i think stories that empower people to do that, to live their own lives authentically. I think that's of interest to me. Um, I will say there is also, uh, you know, if it wasn't a completely original story, if it was uh, one we were familiar with but haven't seen told on stage, it would probably be the movie um, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Mm. And, they have, that musical has been in, in some stages of development. Um, however, uh, it has not gone on further since that development, but I can just let everybody know, in case anybody is wondering, that when that musical takes a further step, I am, look no further for Vito Bohem, it's me. I'm the Period. one. <laughs> period and I think you know I think too you know what I just shared you know my wishes for what kind of role I could play I think that that is sort of who Vita Bohem is I think that Vita is someone who has struggled to find what it means to live an authentic life but has has found it has carved it out and then is able to help you know and sort of um, usher the way for for other folks who find that same 
that same pleasure and joy and euphoria that come from living living your life authentically as you really are. Absolutely. Now, if you were to see this actually come to stage, would you like to see it still portrayed as a drag story or would you like to see it portrayed as what I believe the movie actually is, which is a trans story? That's the thing, you know, of course, which is, it's it's always been a crux of the movie, which is like, wait, you, you're talking about drag entertainers who dress in their drag to go on a cross-country trip? It is somewhat implausible. And I think what would need to be updated, what would make sense to update, would be, um, you know, yes, as you said, either, uh, either that these are trans characters or perhaps they are trans and non-binary and gender fluid characters. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I realized that you would have to get creative in how that story is told because of course, at the center of the plot is that, you know, we're not necessarily supposed to know that these aren't women or at least the characters <laughs> in, in the story aren't supposed to. So I do think that there is some some revising and some updating that probably needs to happen. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Nice. Now, if you could take over an iconic role on stage now, what do you think that role would be? You know, it, it's going to sound a little, a little, uh, I don't know how it's going to sound, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had the opportunity to go see Jinx Monsoon's opening night on Broadway in Chicago, playing Mama Morton. And she was amazing, totally nailed it. But I gotta tell you, I know Jinx and her talents, and so I wasn't really doubting how well she was gonna do. I knew she was gonna slay this. Um, and she really did, she did not disappoint, but the thing that was, you know, just as exciting to me because I knew she was going to kill it was just the energy and the enthusiasm from the crowd. You could tell that a lot of people had turned out to come see Jinx Monsoon in this show. And um, it was very exciting to see that on, uh, on, on Broadway as someone who has loved Broadway my whole life. And, um, and uh, of any Broadway production, I have seen Chicago uh, more than any other. I love that production. And um, I've actually, I've wanted to play Mama for years. And so I'm hoping perhaps that this might open the door to such an opportunity. I absolutely think that that would be amazing. You know, I love that Chicago is so close to home for so many people. Cause yeah. that's like the one, that's like, if it wasn't for Chicago, I don't think I would ever feel like I related to anybody in the world. It's like the one thing mm -hmm. that like, I can constantly relate to people on it. Like, but, but like Chicago's incredible, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've been saying since I was a kid, I was like, if I get to play Billy Flynn on Broadway, I'll be able to die happy. That's so, <laughs> that's so, that's wild that we share this. Cause for me, you know, no, I mean, you know, like we were saying, unless it's some original story that hasn't been told yet, that's just gonna like come in and change lives and change the world, you know, yes, that would be incredible. But for me, the fullest circle Broadway dream, as far as one that I've been dreaming for a long time would be to 
to honestly to be anybody in that production of Chicago. Like I've I've thought about playing all the roles. So I love um, that. That that production means a lot to me as well. So I love that we can share that. Maybe we'll do it together. Hopefully, I would. Oh, that would be the day. I would. That <laughs> that, that would be incredible for me. Then right. I could really die happy. I'd be like, just take me now. I'm fine. I, I don't need to do anything <laughs> else. I'm good. <laughs> We've hit peak, people. Right. <laughs> what would the title of the Broadway musical about your life be called? Oh, I love that. Um, well, <laughs> I could go some different ways here, you know? I think, love that. I think, you know, if it, let's just say it was like a one woman, you know, spectacular, little bit of this, little bit of that. Mm. It makes me think of, of course, a very iconic and historic night, both that took place in a Broadway theater, but also was on live television, which was Liza with a Z. Yeah. Um, that Bob Fosse, you know, choreographed and created for Liza Minnelli at a point in in entertainment history and in her career, where she was really just about the biggest star around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not to say that there weren't other, you know, huge caliber giant stars in the world. There were. But at that moment, you know, the spotlight was on her. She had, um, she had won an Oscar for, um, for Cabaret. And, uh, you know, they created this, this special um, this one night special and it was a huge production to really just be on television for one night but that's what made it so special so I would say if it was something like that if it was like a one woman show with a chorus and, and numbers you know maybe something that paid tribute to Liza with the Z maybe it's um, maybe call it Alexis Lives or maybe call it uh, you know Alexis with a day something like that just to really send it home um, I love that. Alexis with a they. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. That sounds fun. <laughs> I, I don't know how you're going to decide because Alexis Liv just rolls off the tongue. Right. But like Alexis with a they is like, <laughs> so smart. Thank you. I, you know, I've been, I've come to learn about myself, you know, over the last several years. And I think it was actually very helpful. I think I learned a lot from my season nine drag race sisters um, about my own fluidity and my own non-binary-ness. Because um, I, I asked myself for many years, you know, when I, when I started coming up in drag, um, female illusion and celebrity female illusion was the name of the game still. Mm -hmm. And so I was always pursuing something that was very ultra femme in my, in my expression. And um, so I, for all that time that I spent in that kind of ultra femme um, presentation, I definitely have asked myself, you know, a lot of questions about my identity and my gender and while 
I don't know that I feel like I'm 100% woman all the time. Um, I do know I have sort of awakened to the fact that my drag helps me express the part of myself that is either more femme or more female. Totally understand that. I, yeah. I've had that journey myself. Um, mm -hmm. I spent, ooh, child, that's a whole long story. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that off camera sometime. You know, when we're celebrating the opening night of our run in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah, honey. Um, when did you discover drag? You know, drag's always been there. I, the, the instinct to tell stories and to play dress up has always been there since I was a kid. Um, I loved dressing up and, you know, in dress up clothes or even in my mom's things at a very, very young age. So the instinct to express myself by dressing up, that's always been there, you know, so as long as I can remember. And I think it evolved. I think the way it evolved was also at a very young age, I watched a lot of movie musicals. And my love and really admiration, adoration of these powerhouse female performers, that's really what I think sealed the deal for me as I just saw these incredible female performers and wanted to put their shoes on, literally, you know? Literally. <laughs> literally. So, you know, being influenced by the these dynamos of of you know of stage and screen really inspired me to want to express myself in this way and so it kind of started to resurface in um, middle and high school and even in college and college was was the age where I started crossing over from pursuing drag merely as this expressive hobby and was like, oh, well, maybe I could do it as a gig, you know? And that's when it turned professional, when I started seeing how I could get paid to do it. Um, and that, that happened at some point in college. So I cannot believe I'm saying this, but 2023 makes that year that this became a professional endeavor 20 years ago. You better work, Annie. <laughs> Even professional, <laughs> veteran, authority. <laughs> yes, I live for that. Yes, statesman. I love that. <laughs> now, were your dreams nurtured growing up, or were you your own cheerleader? You know, I think a bit of both. Um, I feel very fortunate to have been brought up in the house that I was, uh, particularly, you know, when it comes down to this thing that I talked about of, of dressing up as a kid, that was not something that I had to be ashamed of or hide from. When I was very little, my mother allowed me to play dress up. She allowed me to put on her stuff. Um, and I think that that was important, you know, to, to feel that. Now, at some point, I stopped doing that. And I don't remember being told at home 
stop doing that, but perhaps society's suggestion snuck up on me somehow, whether it was by what I thought a boy was supposed to be or whether it was the kind of activities that other boys in school were doing, you know, with sports and such, which I assimilated into that world a bit, you know? Um, but, but I was lucky, generally speaking, that I did not have those pressures on me. And however, even, even though I was brought up in such a, a kind of open way, um, there still was a learning curve, both for me and my family, I think, um, for me to realize that this is something that I could continue to express. And eventually I did, like I said, it, it resurfaced in middle school and then in high school. And I think those were the years I was sort of figuring it out and finding my way, um, but still wasn't sure how open I could be about it. And um, I remember this would have been soon after I graduated college when, you know, when I'd still been doing drag and I was starting to, um, you know, I was starting to do it professionally here and there at a few gigs, um, but it certainly was nothing I was pursuing full time. I think that's when I sort of had to come out again and I had to say to my mom, listen, remember that whole uh, dress up thing? Well, it's not going away. <laughs> And so <laughs> I sort of came out again. And and I think that my mom has expressed, you know, uh, herself that there's, that she did have a learning curve and that it was sort of coming out twice for her, you know, letting, getting in touch for herself that I was, you know, identified as gay. And then, and then later on, knowing that, you know, she had a, a child who, was going to perform in drag and express themselves through drag. Um, and even again, I don't, you know, and this is, we're sort of all more aware about, you know, the spectrum that is gender. So I think it's been less of a learning curve to take this final step of self-realization and, you know, and realizing that I'm somebody who's fluid and doesn't necessary, necessarily align just with one column. Um, that in some ways, that's been the easiest part of my journey is realizing that because I'm already, I've, I've been further along on my, on my journey in the other ways. And so that was sort of the final missing piece that only helped me to better understand myself. I absolutely love that. So what do you think were the most essential pieces to fully realizing your aesthetic as a drag character or drag persona? Well, like I said, when I started, it was all about female impersonation and 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 sometimes, you know, impersonating a celebrity. Um, I think, and I still, I still strive for femme drag, even though the makeup is much more painted now. You know, when I was, when I was uh, first auditioning for Drag Race, you know, uh, probably, probably more than a decade ago, um, 
I, the, the makeup was still much softer, you know? Mm-hmm. So things have, things have changed. We've seen, we've seen drag styles change and we've seen makeup styles change. And I think we went from, you know, in the, in the nineties, it was very soft. And then we had the sort of earlier drag race era that started soft and then became more painted. I think really the influence of of makeup artistry like Raven is capable of really changed that. And and people really got into being makeup artists and really painting a face. And I think since then we've backed off and gone back toward the the softer looks. And I think we're we still appreciate those, but I think we're seeing people paint again. Um, so you know, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that change. But for me, I'm still striving for a femme presentation. And for me, I think polish is important. You know, I do come from that older drag aesthetic where you wanted to have everything together and and not look messy. And and more power to the messy people, because there, there's a whole, you know, slew of drag performers and entertainers who thrive on on that chaos. And that can be super entertaining. And for me, I always say, as long as we're entertained, like that's where it's at. So there are people who have made a whole brand out of being messy and it's fabulous. Um, but I think it's always about execution. You know, polish, I think polish and execution are two closely related words and I think Polish has been given a funny connotation in drag because people associate polish with pageantry and and many people find pageantry to be sort of narrow, even though I think if you're a fierce pageant queen, you're probably a well-rounded queen in my book. But <laughs> right. But um I think I think rather than um, you know, polish. I think we could sort of like shimmy over to the word execution because I think execution is what it's all about. You know, you can have a concept, whatever it be, and if you execute it well, then it's likely to be, you know, a fabulous product that can entertain. Totally. That makes perfect sense. Do you have, do you have a favorite number to perform in drag? Ooh, it's ever changing, you know. Um, Love that. And I think, especially I, because years ago I I used to not perform with my own live singing voice, because especially when my presentation was so soft and femme, um, mm-hmm. I thought there was too big of a disconnect between this, you know, this pretty girl you saw and my baritone voice. And (laughs) at some point several years ago, I was able to shed that idea and say, you know what, this is my voice. I love to sing, this is my voice, I'm gonna sing in my voice. And so I started doing that and people responded to it immediately. And um, so especially when it comes to singing, it's always changing because, you know, you go with the go with the mood, you go with what you're feeling. I will say, I got very swept up in the the funny girl returns to Broadway casting drama that we've all watched unfold in the past year. 
And um, so I have been on a, a recent funny girl kick again. And um, <laughs> the song that that Fanny Bryce sings at the end of the show, which is, uh, you know, in the movie, she finishes the movie by singing My Man. But, which was a song that Fanny Bryce sang in, in real history, but in the Broadway show, in the original Broadway musical and in the revival now, she sings the music that makes me dance. And that is just one of my favorite songs um, and one that I think I always love to sing. I love that. Now, how does your favorite number to perform compare to your moneymaker? Uh, that's a great question, yeah, because there are certain, <laughs> you know, if I'm doing an all-live singing show or if I'm doing one of my cabaret shows where it's just me singing for a couple, you know, an hour and change, um, obviously that is what people have paid to come see, but um, I also have, uh, you know, a mix that I've performed all over um, that is really fun in different settings, whether it be a nightclub or, uh, or a large party, something because it it mixes um, my kind of old old school love of Broadway with comedy, and uh, you know if you can get people to laugh, you generally will have people on your side. So that's always a always a great money maker. Um, but I'm, that's why I'm really excited about this party on Friday at three dollar bill because I am introducing not one but two new mixes in a very yes. beloved very beloved character and actor um let's just say that Ooh, i'm excited yes now in that line of thinking how is new york drag different than any other drag well you know i think we could have said this you know a few years ago that new york has the greatest variety you know mm -hmm. you can get something of every style and maybe even a style that hasn't been created yet you can find here but i don't know if we can say that anymore because i've been you know on my travels i've seen the communities i've seen the drag communities and there are drag communities all over the country and all over the world that are expressing themselves in different ways so perhaps we're still leading that charge but i don't think new york is the only scene where you can find the variety that you can find here i mean you there's a lot you can find here but i've i've seen it i've seen it i would just this last fall i did um witch perfect which was a hocus pocus parody <laughs> all, all over uh the us and canada with tina burner and scarlet envy and we saw some very diverse communities where we went on our travels. So I think what's great about New York is it's, you know, I mean, it, it also makes it competitive, but it's very saturated. It's very saturated with drag right now. And so there is a lot of variety. Um, and generally speaking, I think you have strong performers in New York um, because many, many people who are doing drag in New York perhaps have other performance backgrounds that they are drawing upon. Um, and I know that's not exclusive to New York. I know you have that elsewhere as well, but I think it's very common here in New York because New York is such a live performance hub. 
totally get that. What do you think about the current state of drag as a whole and as an industry? Well, it's popping, which is good, you know? I think, like, how can that be bad, right, you might ask? I think what makes it... Oh, I can definitely give some examples. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, I mean, me too. That's why I'm, you know, I'm I'm giving you a a soft build-up here. But, (laughs) I mean... I think just in the same way that I said New York is very saturated with drag, I think so is the world. I think we're seeing um, drag all over the world. We're certainly seeing drag race all over the world, which is exciting, but it means it's become an extremely saturated and therefore competitive field. Um, You know, so I've definitely seen that sort of come about. Um, and I think the trap that people fall into sometimes because a program like Drag Race is so beloved and so successful, um, there has been a value system that has been informed by Drag Race as an entity. And I think that that has had some, um, complicated Uh, sort of shakedown repercussions. Um, You know, while while it is amazing the way it has both introduced drag to the world, but also let many beautiful and meaningful stories be told, um, it has also created an occasionally narrow-minded angle or view of what drag is or what it should be. And and making people feel like they're authorities on on the matter. When, you know, I really, while I'm experienced as I am, I don't see myself as an authority. I think I'm just, you know, my purpose is just to interpret and share the way I know how. And that within that, I can also appreciate how other people do that. So I don't consider myself, you know, You know, I'm not in charge here. <laughs> Just, you know, my my seniority is is merely my experience. That's all. Um, so yeah, I, I've I've seen I've seen the influence of Drag Race over the world, and I think it's it's done so much that's incredible. But uh, you know, my wish would be that people could keep an open mind about what drag is and realizing that drag does not just exist in their television sets, um, you know, for an hour or an hour and a half a week. Totally. You know, I realized that we had hit peak drag race exposure when I got a notification on my phone saying that if you have a Vizio TV, which I do, um, thank you, Suri, for being nosy, but... um, Um, they were like, if you have a Vizio TV, you now have access to the channel Drag Race Universe, which is drag race across the world, 24 hours a day. I was oh, yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Dra- so they drag have- is Marvel now. Drag is Marvel. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I well, I do, okay. I do think drag queens are superheroes, so maybe so. 
10 million percent i that that's the i, I swear the little the little three-year run that i had in drag was the only time i ever felt powerful mm. i'll tell you that mm. i've mm. only felt powerful on stage and it's something about being on stage in drag that just took that power to a whole nother level yeah i think that's a that's an important part of it for me and of course as we said there are you know there are lots of expressions of drag and so it's not all about um female or feminine power but i do think for me that's what it originated from and so there is something to be said for the power of women and and i always aim to uplift and celebrate women in my drag and i know that's the same for many 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 drag artists is that's always what it's about is celebrating women and their power absolutely um Let's jump into your experience on reality television, just mm. a little bit. What went into the decision for you to audition for Drag Race? And what was the casting process like for you that you're allowed to share? I know they get crazy with, with them contracts and fine <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I was pursuing theater the drag thing was always there in the background, you know, doing gigs here and there. And um, when the first season of Drag Race premiered, which I think was 2009, I remember watching it devotedly every week at friends' house, all of us together. And pretty much right away, I said, oh, I can do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. So my process started early on. I said, this, I see this, you know, and Lord knows it was not what it is today. Drag Race was <laughs> a much smaller thing. I mean, just the fact that it was on TV was exciting, but it was still on a, you know, on a smaller cable channel and- Shout out the logo. You know, and like, it was not obviously the, uh, you know, the commercial success that it has become. Um, but I just saw it as this legitimized expression of this thing that I loved, this way I love to express myself. And so I wanted to be a part of it. And so I started auditioning for the second season. And back then, for that second season, they had a uh, casting website that you had to create a profile and share your content and share videos, performance videos. And basically, uh, you were trying to get people who were frequenting this site and you could share the link with people to vote for you. And the more votes you got moved you up on this casting website. And basically whoever achieved the top votes on the casting website was gonna get a spot on the show. And the person who got the spot that year was Jessica Wilde on season two. And um, so, you know, my awareness of Jessica and I remember um, <clears throat> Pandora was on that casting website and, uh, you know, a bunch of the ladies who years later, you know, got on the show. I think, I think, I don't know how long she's been auditioning for the show, but as long as I've been on Twitter, um, I've known Lucy LaDuca, who's on Drag Race right now on season 15. Right. And I know she's been trying for years because... 
That's why we were, you know, hustling on social media, was trying to get noticed, trying to get seen by casting folks at World of Wonder. And um, so anyway, that, that process started all the way back then, uh, probably in uh, 2009 or 2010. And um, 2009, I think, actually, that's right, 2009. And, um, you know, uh, the audition process is involved. You have to create a tape. And for those of us that know and have done it year after year, uh, it's involved. You know, it can be up to, a, it can be an over 20 minute tape, which is a lot of yeah. time. And, um, I think, I don't know, because by, you know, at the time I was still auditioning for the show, those were still the audition requirements. I think it's been streamlined a little bit since then. From what mm -hmm. I've heard, they give a little bit more, um, a little bit more steering and guidance of what they really need. And so it's a little bit more pared down, but I'm sure mm. it's still a lot. I'm sure these girls still have to go through a lot of, you know, once you've, uh, you know, created the tape, you know, and it's been reviewed. There's steps that involve background checks and psyche valves. And so it, it is a whole process. Um, but pretty much as soon as I saw that show from season one, I said, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that, that legacy. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I can relate to the experience of creating the casting tape. I have auditioned once, and uh -huh. it was because I lost the bet. Because <laughs> I knew that I wasn't ready. I knew that I didn't have the, have the drag. I really didn't care about the experience because I knew that I was talented, and there are people who were allegedly only doing drag for nine months and got on the show, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I was like, okay, well, experience doesn't matter if you have the talent, but, but what I don't have is drag. And this is when drag race started to become expensive. This is when like you started to like need a coin to have a package to come on drag race. Oh, so yeah. like I was like, okay, well, girl, I ain't got, I ain't got like, girl, I wear like Afro wigs and you know, like I like, I don't, anyway, I say all of that to say that casting process is a hell of a lot. And I don't know what they pared it down from from the year that I auditioned. I think it might have been season 11 or 12, maybe. Um, okay. But it might have even been before that because it was 2017, 2018, so, something like that. Okay. It was still, you know, 20 looks and... Oh yeah, two and two snatch game characters answer questions. Ah, it was a whole like two lip things. It was it was, so, it was a lot going on. If it was 2017, that was the year my season aired, which means I believe you were auditioning for season 10. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, because because Bob was the reason I started doing drag. Shay was the reason that I wanted to do Drag Race. So yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Hmm. Now, who did you audition with as far as Snatch Game characters? Because I sent in three characters just for good measure. Mind you, they didn't, they probably didn't even look at my tape, so it don't even matter. But I love to know who people, what characters people sent in for their tape, because that always tells me a lot about what type of person they are. <laughs> well, 
Interestingly, and this actually goes back far, the, the, I believe, I believe the first year that I auditioned, because I think we didn't get Snatch Game until season two, is that right? Mm-hmm. So I believe the first year that I auditioned was for season two. And so that was the first year they were asking for celebrity impersonation. And at that point, they weren't asking you to answer, you know, fill in the blank snatch game questions. They just said, show us your celebrity impersonation. So at that point, it was just to show them a number. And I, doing Liza, my love of Liza and doing Liza has been part of my drag as long as I can remember. So, um, so really really from the beginning so um i definitely presented liza going as far back as that season two audition tape and and they saw liza in different incarnations from me many times over the years many many times but my most interesting story i think comes from my audition tape for uh season Five was the season that Jinx Monsoon was originally on. Mm-hmm. And for my audition tape for season five, I showed them Liza, as I had before, but I also showed them Little Edie, who Jinx, of course, won her first Snatch Game with. Yo! And... Um, so I just think that's so funny that we shared that taste. And of course, the funny thing is, if you're really in the know, uh, Liza was Jinx's backup. So we sort of had the same two Snatch Game characters in mind for that season. I love that. I love that. There's, there have been, one of the characters that I auditioned with was somebody that has been on the show already. Shangela has done Jennifer Lewis on the show. Oh, yes. Um, Jennifer Lewis, yes. She's such a standout for me. And she's yes. like one of the ones that that's like easy to do the voice. I'm like, I, I can easily do her. Yeah. Um, and then the one and one of the ones who I thought that I could really kill on the show, but I haven't seen on the show is Ayanna Van Zandt. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, I have not seen anyone do her, but I think that her like mother earth but like snappy as a venus flytrap wave would be so funny on the show yeah and then the third one who i auditioned just because i know her so well but i didn't think that i could actually do her but i just just kind of know her voice and like the way that she reacts to things kathy griffin oh yeah kathy would be great kathy would be great and uh you know someone who really is ready to volley with those, you know, kind of kind of humor and kind of references would really kill Kathy. Yes, I was like, she's perfect for Snatch Game. Like her whole comedy is reactionary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's really she's true. Brilliant for that. Yeah, and I, I have some others that were in the backup, you know, but I'm gonna hold on to those just in case I ever have to use them. Yes, because I was going to say, like, do you plan on coming back for All-Stars? Do you plan on traveling across the world and doing a Versus the World season? You know, they've announced 3,700 new spinoffs. I know. You know, the (laughs) answer is I'm just waiting for the right time. So fingers crossed. Hopefully, hopefully it'll happen. 
So children, what that means in English is that they've been calling her phone. She just ain't been giving them the return yet. She's like, I'll come when I want, not when you want. I'll go, I'll walk when I, for, for those of you who have seen Paris is Burning, she's basically saying, I'll walk when I want, not when you want, I'll walk when I want. <laughs> well, so basically she's saying she'll walk sometime around the Legends Bowl. <laughs> love that for you. Absolutely love that. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. Same. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what did you take away from the reception of the audience now that your season is in hindsight? Well, you know, like I said, perception can be a real bitch. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I, I was not for everybody, which is an important lesson for anyone to learn is that you're not going to be for everybody. And just to get okay with that is as an important thing in anybody's life. Um, but you know, my perception was that I wasn't for everybody and some people wrote me off and, and some people were unkind on social media. And, um, and that was difficult. It was difficult to digest as somebody who, uh, who, as I said, loved the show for so many years and tried, you know, to make that part of my legacy for so many years. I always hoped to be received a certain type of way. And so that, you know, that perception not meeting up with those expectations was challenging. But um, since then, you know, I've been able to move past that and realize you have to move past that. And so that's really what that whole intention that I set out for my my 2023 has been about is like just just keep doing you and keep yourself out there and show people who you are you know don't don't let perception or your fear of perception uh you know make you retreat into the background absolutely what do you think your fondest moment was from actually competing from actually being on the show, actually, it, it was the Snatch Game, and it wasn't just because I won the Snatch Game, it was while we were filming the Snatch Game. That was fun, because we got to do something that I knew I could do, knew I was good at, and knew I could count on, you know? And that is what it takes, I think. That's part of what it takes to be good at Snatch Game. You know, the look is secondary. It's more about being able to either embody I, th I think the greatest snatch games are when you can embody the person but even if you're not fully embodying as long as you know them well enough to be able to play volleyball you know from their perspective and have it come come out as true and or funny um then you're really you've got it made so that was that was the most fun because I knew how to do it. I knew what to do and I did it. And even as it was going down, I was like, yeah, 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 it's working, this is working. You know, this thing I waited all these years to do. Cause that's the thing, you know, you never know what challenge would be thrown at you on Drag Race, but that was one we did know would be thrown at us on Drag Race. And, you know, something I hoped that I would excel at. So the fact that that worked out was really, was really fun. Absolutely, you did so freaking well. That's one of the, your, your Snatch Games, and I don't remember a lot of them, but your Snatch Games is definitely one of the ones that when I think about Snatch Game, it's like one of the 
one another performance is that like pop up in, 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 in the montage that runs across my mind. It's like oh. you as Liza, Lasky as Mae West, Shangela as as Jennifer Lewis, yeah. Roxy Andrews as Tamar Braxton for some reason lives rent free <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I don't even know why. It just well, I can never you, get over Roxy Andrew thing. Get your life. <laughs> do you do you watch the show, friend? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh, good. Now, when it comes to your cast specifically. What percentage would you say are your actual friends in real life? And what percentage would you say were just people who you just happen to make a really great show with? Well, I honestly, I'm thinking about all the people on our cast. I do feel like they're all friends. Now, you know, we're not as close to all our friends as as our closest friends, you know just by nature of us not living in the same place or not working together all the time. You know, I don't get to see everybody all the time, but I still Mm -hmm. do feel like there was a shared experience that we had and that that bonds you together in a a familial way, you know, for better or for worse. So like, I feel like, yeah, they're friends. I also feel like they're family more than anything, you know, but but I still have a bunch of, of great Judy's, you know, from the season and people I try to keep up with. Um, people are often surprised to hear that probably the person I'm the closest with from that season is Pheromone, but our, uh, mm. our friendship is a treasured thing to me and um, whenever I get to see and work with Peppermint, it's always such a joy and um, you know, really everybody. I'm actually catching up with Sasha Valour, uh next week. We're going to go have have a walk and a, a gossip together. I love that. That 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 just sounds New York. Like that sounds like something New Yorkers do. We're going to go have a walk and a gossip. Yeah, that. You know, yeah. How do you think your season stands up to and stands apart from the other seasons of Drag Race? So I don't want to get in trouble for saying this because I'm not trying to assume or understand anybody else's experience. However, sure. and, and perhaps it was just by nature of the movement in the world at large, but when we were there, I remember taking stock of myself and everybody in the room and thinking, this feels like a, a largely fluid cast i'm there were people who had had spent time either transitioned or transitioning in the past before we filmed there were people you know like peppermint who was fully fully understood herself to be a woman um i know sasha is someone who I think even at that point identified in a non-binary way. Um, mm-hmm. But there were other other people in our cast who I think found themselves in this undefinable or, you know, more in-between place. Um, and so I think for me, what set us apart um, 
was that we were a very, very trans, fluid, non-binary group, largely. And I'm not saying that for every last person. I don't think that's every last person's story in that cast, but I think it's one of the more fluid groups that I can uh, remember on, on seasons of Drag Race. I agree. When you think back, um, Eureka was on that season who mm-hmm. had spent three years living as a woman who just mm-hmm. came um, out as um, retransitioning. Um, mm-hmm. Congratulations to her. It was you. It was Sasha. It was Peppermint who was fully out of trans. Um, and, you know, and there's been there's been so other other members of the cast, you know, who... Shay who even, you know, post-drag race have been doing, whether they've announced it or not, who are doing, you know, doing it in their way, in their style, expressing themselves as they see fit. So, you know, some people have said it out loud, some people haven't said it out loud, and um, which is, of course, up to each individual person in the world. Like, that is up to you, how you want to, um, you know, share your story or not. Of course. Um, that's why I kind of paused there because I couldn't, there was a couple people who I wanted to include in that list, but I was like, I don't specifically recall them making announcements, so I don't want to categorize anyone unfairly. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, But, um, what did you learn about the art form of drag from competing on RuPaul's Drag Race? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think I learned... I don't know if I... I wouldn't say I first learned this, but I think it was driven home to me. Um, That... my particular history in drag, coming from this old-school drag perspective, coming from the theater, that those, those elements of preparation um, to create that polish, to create that execution, that those are really, really helpful in an extremely stressful competition setting. Um, you know, you you need to be prepared for whatever is thrown at you, and so you need to be prepared for the unexpected because you really don't know what's coming your way when you're competing in that setting. And so I think that the experience made me realize like preparation is so key, but you also have to be able to adapt. And like I said, be prepared for anything, which means you can't be prepared for everything and still being able to deliver your brand, you know, through it all. I think that is that is something we hear again and again. You know, RuPaul says, know, know thyself and deliver at all times. Um, And so I think being able to make that adjustment to whatever is thrown at you and still be able to deliver you, that's really the the biggest key and and biggest challenge of competing on Drag Race. Totally. What's been the biggest lesson you've you've learned from another drag queen? Ooh, well... On that season, Trinity did teach me how to tuck fiercely. Um, fiercely. Fiercely. Um, that was a, you know, I, 
I, I tuck with a, I, and still, you know, I don't, I don't tape on the regular. Um, most of the time I, when I tuck, I'm tucking with a, a tucking panty or a gaff. Um, mm. So that is a whole nother level and much respect to all my sisters who do, I mean, there are sisters of mine who do that, come rain or come shine, if they're in drag, that's how they, that's how they do drag. And more, more power to them. That, that's not the story I'm telling. <laughs> okay, that is not the fantasy I um, ever delivered in. Ooh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, um, I've learned so much uh, from from my sisters, and that's been one of the beauties of being a part of this sisterhood is is all the things you pick up, the little tricks, the little, you know, I um, I recently was in SoCal uh, doing a little tour. And I got to work with the one and only Chad Michaels. And anytime I get to see or be around or work with Chad Michaels, I consider it like the greatest gift. And if you've ever done drag and worn like a piece of drag jewelry, particularly an earring, while you are wearing a wig, you know that some of the wig hairs are gonna get caught in your earring. And we all have different ways of getting it out, you know? Some people, can sort of patiently get each strand out. Some people will just sort of rip it out and rip away the the damaged hair. Um, but, and I wish there was a visual aid I could show you, but just imagine <laughs> the sort of graceful and, and learned way that I saw Chad Michaels gently kind of like tap and flick the hair off of this earring. I was like, see, it's that. That's the stuff you get, you know, from legendary people. It's they really know the this craft inside and out. And you know, there's a lot of that that craft that I have that kind of understanding of. But there's always something more to learn. So I'm always keeping my eyes open, trying to absorb whatever I can. I love that. I would be sitting there, and I'm sitting here doing the imagining, and I'm. And I can imagine what I'd be saying in the moment. What type of mystical drag voodoo is this? Mm-hmm. What type of drag? What what type of drag magic? What in the David Blaine is happening here? What is going on? How are you doing this? This is telekinesis. It has to be. Yeah, totally. Shout out to Chad Michaels, the icon, the legend, and the the legends. And, and honestly, always such a joy to be around. Such a good time, such a, a pleasure and um, just good vibes. Absolutely. Chad looks like one of the people who just looks like a good time. Like, just looks like a nice person. Yeah, and she is. It's true. What keeps you up at night? Oh, what doesn't? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> It's it's the spinning of my own wheels, you know. My mind, it is it is frequently hard for me to slow down those wheels and and find the quiet in my own head, you know. Whether it's a performance coming up that I can't stop thinking about, or a look that has to come together, um, or maybe it's something that's making me anxious, you know, and uh, and just I'm spinning the wheels. But usually it's the it's the the activity of my own mind. Mm, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. I relate to that. 
what do you want your stamp on the entertainment industry as a whole to be? Well, I think um, appreciating the value of the arts and entertainment, um, mm -hmm. really valuing their their particular contribution and how needed they are in the world. Um, and I think within that, sort of what I was talking about at the beginning, I think, um, I think so many of the world's problems stem from people leading inauthentic lives. I think mm -hmm. people that target other people, often people who are living authentically, um, I think those people are wrestling with something in their life that they are not feeling right or comfortable about. I think that they are struggling to find their authenticity. And so I think that the spreading this message that like, just live yourself, live your life, live your truth, live authentically. I think that that's, I think it's important to know that about yourself as an entertainer, but I think it's important to know yourself about that as a human being. Of course. So I would say if I could help encourage people to do that, you know, through my art, that that would be great if that was my impression that I left um, on this art form. Absolutely. What has reality television taught you about people? Oh, complicated question. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, I think reality TV has shown us that we are fascinated by one another. We are fascinated by perspectives. We are fascinated by behavior. I mean, that's why you see shows like, you know, the Housewife franchises be so successful and for so many years is we're interested with how these people behave, treat each other. Um, so I think that that is probably the positive side of reality television is that it lets us explore our curiosities about other people, um, whether they be like us or not. Um, but I've also learned, you know, that it can have, um, it can have a negative side, you know, and I think the world of reality TV, you know, has borne many, many a reality star and it has borne even more reality fans and supporters. And unfortunately, it seems to be more rampant in reality consumption um, that people feel a freedom to say whatever they want to say, uh, you know, publicly about other people. And I think that that's an, an unfortunate side of it. Because um, Lord knows, listen, we're all judgmental. We all size people up. We all make judgments. But I think what makes the world um, a more tolerable place is when people realize it's really not for everybody to 
you know those judgments some of those belong in our in our heads and and you don't need to say what you just said on your typewriter or your phone keyboard you know so i'd say those have been some of the things i've learned but generally speaking you know in in trying always to look on the bright side i think it's been interesting to see that we are genuinely fascinated by each other and each other's behavior absolutely what have you learned about yourself from experiencing reality television versus just watching it well at the end of the day i know who i am and the people who know and love me they know who i am and ultimately that's what matters um and you know how you come off or how you are presented on reality television is not it's not real it's not reality it's um there may be real elements but it's within a whole you know set of circumstances and 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 uh parameters so it's not reality and and i guess i've just learned uh you know if i experience stress a certain way or if it comes off a certain way that that may just be true of that setting that may just be true of competing on camera that's not an easy thing to do you know um but that that also does not define who any of us are as people um you know in a in a bigger picture way i'd say i've learned that absolutely do you think you found yourself yet I definitely I mean at this at this point in my life and career and my age I definitely feel I know myself and I'm living as authentically as I've ever lived and um I think that is the beauty of getting older is that you you get to know yourself better and um and hopefully to you start caring a little less about what other people might think course. I love that lesson. What does what does Alexis Michelle in 2023 say to Alexis Michelle in 2003? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um 2023 Alexis tells Alexis from all those years ago um just keep doing you um don't try to cater to what other people want just keep doing you cuz that's really the only thing you can do authentically is you and um and don't uh beat yourself up it you know appreciate that waistline while you've got it <laughs> yeah god and i'm and don't be too attached to you know the the bigger or the small that comes in the meantime i absolutely love that thank you for sharing that cuz i just hit my 30s i am 31 now going into 32 mm-hmm. this year well and i'm thank you so much i'm glad to be here i'm so glad i made it we did it joe we did, did it, it joe <laughs> we did it That's how I feel so like every day I'm like we did it I made it to my 30 Christ 
but I'm like like as I'm ever approaching for like 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 as I'm waiting for my metabolism to slow down because people have been telling me since I was 15 just wait just wait now when you hit 30 it's all gonna slow down and all, all that is gonna catch up to you at 30 and I'm like okay now I'm working out harder than I ever have I work out six days a week I pray to God harder than I ever have I'm like listen I'm not out here trying to look like The Rock nor trying to look like you know Brian Car- uh, 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 Brian uh, Kerrigan either but though, for those of you children out there if you know you know uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but like I just want to remain healthy as I can and remain as in control of my bodily presentation as possible. I don't care if I get bigger or smaller, as long as I'm able to maintain some sort of healthy control. Yeah. That's all I care about. Yeah. Because I don't mind getting thicker. I don't want to get any smaller though, because I'm not trying like 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 they're trying to bring back this whole heroin chic era, but I've been there and done that. Yeah. For like 25 years and I'm over it. So I'm trying to, you know, find some child. Yeah, if, if there's anybody who's out there losing weight listening to this podcast right now, let me know where you lost it so I can go find it. <laughs> Leave a coordinates, drop a pen, or whatever the kids say on TikTok. I would uh, appreciate it. I'll, I'll send you some thickness. I got plenty to go around. I will gladly harvest every ounce of it for you. Love every that. bit of it I need it I need like I like I, I've never experienced life above 145 pounds ever <laughs> wow I'm dying to get to 160 like I, 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 I'm like that whose has, leg do I have to chop off like that has never been my experience so uh nice to talk to someone on the other side <laughs> and I know it makes me sound like an asshole I no, know no, it no. does no, I no. You felt like you lucky bitch. Like fuck you. No, listen, listen. I one thing I know at this point I've gotten to in my life, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. And I'm the blonde girl that wants brown hair. I'm the girl with curly <laughs> hair that wants straight hair. Uh-huh. I'm always the, the girl that wants what you can't have. And what I yeah. want is hips and ass. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <sighs> What is the biggest misconception about you? Mm. I don't know. I mean, you know, and I don't even want to make assumptions because uh, like I said, I know you can't be for everybody, but I don't want to discount all the love and support I have had. But for those people that don't see that, you know, based on my reality TV uh, run on Drag Race, I would just say, you know, I'm not really a bitch. I just played one on TV. Um, Love that. And, uh, but, you know, I was grateful for, you know, I, we talked a lot about Drag Race, but I was very grateful for the opportunity to make beautiful television uh, called Drag Me Down the Aisle and Dragnificent with B.B. Sahar Benet, Thorgy Thor, and Juju B. And, um, you know, people who saw that show said to me, oh my gosh, it's so amazing to see this side of you. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you actually got to see me. Yeah, so anyway. Um, Which is crazy because I don't like, in my reflection of season nine, I don't really remember you being a bitch. I just remember you being under a lot of pressure 
Yeah. I remember you being a bitch. It, it was all a of you were pressure. under a lot of fucking pressure. Like, what do you it, want? It, like, it's drag race. It was a lot of pressure. I think what people want is they want they want people to fit into these character types that have that have made the show what it what it became you know what it what it's become and so i think that there's an eagerness to put people into categories and there is traditionally somebody who's giving either the villainous vibe or the stir the pot vibe or the troublemaker or the the gossip whatever it is um and i just don't think there was a whole lot of that going on during season nine we really were a largely congenial bunch Mm -hmm. and so i think that there was an eagerness um to sort of categorize us and um you know being that it was a high pressure situation being that I'm emotional and I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. Um, you know, I may have been an easy mark in that way for some people, but um, but if you, you know, if you sort of compare my behavior to some behavior we've seen on reality TV shows at other times, it's pretty, pretty tame. I agree. That, yeah. That's why I was like, yo, like... I, that's why, like, I like. There are sometimes when I see people get, well, get hate on online from their turn on reality TV, and I can pretty much know that it's coming. I'm like, yeah, the the, the people probably not gonna like you that much on Twitter, but God bless you because because you are sickening. You were not one of those people. I was, I yeah. did not understand why people didn't like you. <laughs> so I was like, that's yeah. not. It was weird. Like I was like, what is wrong with Alexis and Michelle? Like, yeah. so what? Like, so what? Like, so what? Like, <laughs> I would have maybe, like, like to me, the one thing that I didn't understand about your your turn on the show was that people were so shocked that you were like, why didn't you tell me this dress was ugly? And I was like, <laughs> because y- y'all were actually friends by this point. Y'all That's were in, the- what, the top five at this point? Like, y'all were actually homegirls at this point. Like, I would have been like, okay, like, that was a moment where, like, I would have probably had where, like, I forgot that we was in do- doing a comp, doing a competition. Like, girl, you my friend, girl. Why? Yeah. Like, why you let me show up to the club looking crazy? I, you know, I, I realized, you know, soon after, you know, in examining that that moment, you know, I realized that I did forget that I was competing with competitors and that that was an inappropriate thing for me to ask of fellow competitors but you're right I was focused on the connection and the friendship and in that particular week I had really felt like I had stepped up to the plate for a lot of people you know there were people wearing my padding and wearing my garments and I did feel like you know there was a looking out for but something very very important life lesson not just about drag race or reality television but a very important life lesson that will make everybody's life i think easier and happier is you just cannot um get bent out of shape over expectations or assumptions of how you think other people should treat you especially if that's the way you treat people you just can't assume that that's how it's gonna go um those kind of expectations breed 
resentment and pain. So if you can let go of those expectations, so much the better. Absolutely. If you were to make a return to reality television, what would you want your new experience in reality television to look like? Being that you've had the drag race experience, you've 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 had the drag me down the aisle experience, dragnificent experience. What would you want your next turn on television to be? Um, I think I would like to explore some of these other areas of entertaining. Uh, particularly food and cooking, but also my love of flower arranging. But yeah, I would love to get into some some food content. Mm, I'd love to see that. Okay, okay. For the executives out here paying attention. Mm-hmm. Take notes, take notes, take notes. Cooking. <laughs> Interior decorating, floral arrangement, party yes. planning. Yes. Pay attention, children. Yes. Right. Now, how do you want to be remembered? Mm. I think I'd like to be remembered, you know, as somebody who championed living your best and truest life. Um, and I think I'd also like to be remembered as somebody who showed up um, professionally, on time, prepared. Uh, again, you know, those hallmarks of the theater are very important to me. And I think, uh, you know, continuing that, uh, that brand of, of professionalism is important to me as well. Of course. Is there anything that you would like to share with my audience and I that I didn't cover in our conversation today? Oh, let's see. Well, whatever my next reality uh, incarnation might be, just know that as I get ready to, you know, come to a town near you or see your city that I am single and ready to mingle i am husband hunting yes god <laughs> yes god so is you out here on the apps or are you you know more of a traditional dater and quarter are you out here cruising the street you like, I'll do like, it like what i have a reputation i have a reputation so i i'm doing it all um you never know where you're gonna meet somebody you know it might be on an app it might be cruising them on the street or Maybe you'll spot someone across a crowded room, all, you know, musicals and romance. But um, no, I, I'm not judgmental of how it happens because you really never know how it's going to happen. So I'm just trying to keep my um, literal and um, and figurative arms uh, open, you know, to the universe and whatever is going to come my way. Totally thought you were gonna say legs, but yes, arms, arms. Those, arms, th right. those two. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because, like, people look at me weird when I say this now. But I miss cruising. Like, uh -huh. it's like a lost art form. Is that weird of me to say? Like, I no, miss it's cruising. it's not weird at all. It was absolutely um, a part of queer culture that was born out of necessity 
Um, yes. You know, and, and a skill that was born out of necessity. And I definitely come from that time as well. And I definitely employed it on many an occasion. And um, I think what's missing from our, our queer culture now is because app culture is such a thing, uh, people have lost their in-person, person-to-person skills. Um, yes. And they've lost uh, the 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 sort of gumption that it takes to go up to a stranger, you know? I agree 100%. Like, people always ask me, why do I think that people on Grindr have no social skills? I'm like, because they're doing all their cruising on the internet. Yeah. And, and even, like, you'll see it. Like, people will find it comical, even, and laugh at somebody who comes up to a stranger. And it's like, no, baby, they are doing the Lord's work. They are putting themselves out there and expressing themselves and putting themselves out on a limb and showing interest in somebody else. Like, that is to be celebrated, you know? Yes. Like, to me, that's, like... To me, that's sexier. Like, if you can, like, like it's cute if you can swipe right. Okay, that's cute or whatever. Send the message or whatever. That's fine. But there's still, even with a display picture, a certain amount of anonymity that goes into online dating and cruising and, like, all of those things. But, like, walking up to somebody face-to-face and being like, hi, what's your name? Can I buy you a drink? You're hot. Like, that takes real, that takes guts, kid. It takes real moxie. Yeah, you know what I absolutely. Mean? People don't do that anymore. It's so weird. But now we have this huge conversation. If you notice, the rise in the dominance of social media is very parallel and concurrent with the rise in social anxiety. Absolutely. I'm not saying I'm a scientist. I'm just saying that I pay attention. That's all. (laughs) Now... My last question before I release you back into the wild, because I feel like I've had you hog tied and bound for an hour and a half. Even though, you know, we don't kink shame on this show unless your kink is kink shaming. That's right. Don't don't yuck anybody's yum. Exactly. Because, you know, we all got to get our yakky yak somehow. Okay? Mm-hmm. But where what is next for you where can the people find you and all of the things that you want to promote so um obviously keep up with me on social um i i am and have been alexis lives on instagram and twitter and venmo coincidentally but um i uh i'm actually uh i'm looking for a little help if anybody out in the world knows anybody at Instagram, I am looking to change my handle, my long loved and lived handle from Alexis Lives to something that's a little more straightforward because I don't want to create additional and unnecessary confusion when people are trying to find me. So I am actually looking to change my handle. Um, But for the meantime, you can find me at Alexis Lives. And if anybody can help me make a a connection at Instagram. It's not as simple as just going and changing it automatically because of my my reach and such. Uh, I need help and approval from from these social media sites, and yet they don't make any easy way to ask them on their sites. So I am looking to change it. But in the meantime, you can find me at Alexis Lives on Twitter and Instagram, and I am. Uh, 
I am growing my presence on TikTok. So please come and join me on TikTok. And that is at, um, you know what? Let me just double check. Let's get change. I just changed it. So yes, it's Alexis Michelle official on uh, Twitter. So come join me, excuse me, on TikTok. Come join me on TikTok at Alexis Michelle official. Yes. So make sure you guys go and follow the TikTok. Make sure you go follow the, follow the TikTok first. Then go follow the Venmo second. At <laughs> and then scooch away on around to the Instagrams and the and the Twitters and things. You know, priorities, children. Yes. Priorities. Don't don't forget those two. And uh, and like I said, if anybody knows anybody at Instagram, help help a girl out. I gotta gotta change my handle. Yes, we will give you a lovely and well a a a, a uh, well worded and thought out shout out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Now, on that note, children, that has been our show. I appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in to help me to facilitate this conversation. And I want to extend a special, special, special thank you to my guest, the Alexis Michelle, for blessing the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here, love. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. And, um, I look forward to talking with you again sometime. Please and thank you. You are an official friend of the show. and You can come back anytime once your new show drops, once the new music drops, once the book drops, once the once you get the new deal, once once the Broadway show comes out, come back and tell us all. Or if you want to just come back and shoot the shit. Yeah, all of it. All of it. Let's do it. All of it. I will always be here. I am just a click away and I plan on staying in touch. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And before we go, I want to remind all of you guys to be real, stay in reality, and always, always bring the realness. I am Brian K. James. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you guys from the bottom of my green heart emojis. Keep the mess in the message and misbehave yourselves. Peace. Bye, guys.